How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Burke House for another edition of Bo's Football Final here at KHON2.com. And anywhere you download podcasts, I'm your host, Rob DeMello, joining me, former University of Hawaii player and coach Rich Miano. We got former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman R.J. Hollis. And guys, there is so much to talk about from the University of Hawaii's recent loss to San Diego State on Saturday night, nationally ranked. Aztecs beating the Bows 17 to 10 in a game that if you just had to label was beyond frustrating because so many opportunities for this UH football team to be able to do something that hadn't been done in two decades and that's beat two ranked opponents in the same season of course having beaten Fresno State six weeks ago at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex but again Rainbow Warriors lose 17 to 10. They fall to four and six on the season, one and four in the Mountain West Conference. Now backs fully against the wall. No room for error for the University of Hawaii if they have any hopes at clinching a fourth consecutive winning season, something the program has not done since 2004. And so obviously, guys, there is so much to talk about within this game. But what we're going to do is we're going to start where it ended. And that is the University of Hawaii has the ball down seven with a minute and 11 left. No timeouts after the defense gets you the ball back and you just have a minute and 11 remaining. So, you know, just a few chances at moving yourself upfield, taking some shots at the end zone. But what happens is the University of Hawaii has the time run out on them without being able to take that final snap to Give yourself an opportunity to get into the end zone and try to tie this game at the very least, or maybe go for two if you get into the end zone and try to win the game right there. Um, so I want to start with you, Rich Miano. How does that happen? Uh, in the post-game press conference, Chevin Cordero said that, you know, at that moment he had guys downfield. He went to his check down in hopes that that, whoever catches the ball would go out of bounds, stop the clock. And that's not what happened. And it happened twice on that possession. Um, what, what happens there and um, just how much of what happened as the time run out is a microcosm of this entire season. Yeah, it was uh, tough to watch. I mean, both teams had uh, a season low in terms of uh, offensive production and you can credit some good defense to that, but you can also, talk about play calling. You can talk about philosophy, you know, the end of the first half, not using your timeouts, not trying to, you know, push the ball downfield and uh, you're down by seven. And then you talk about the end of the game. Uh, Larry Beal, you know, who obviously most people in Hawaii know, he texts me, go deep to Martin four times in a row. You'll get a pass interference call. Or you'll, you know, something good will happen when you have a six foot six type receiver, but push the ball towards the end zone. So it was frustrating in terms of play calling. Uh, and then, you know, you can blame the quarterback for checking that thing down at the end when you know there's a certain amount of time left and you got to get to the end zone. But I guess you're always hoping something magical will happen. He'll make somebody miss. Like you said, he'll get out of bounds. Um, he's still a young signal caller. Uh, I think this is more on the coaches. Uh, but there is some execution on the players drop balls uh, consistently. Uh, illegal procedures 
consistently. And, and I think there's a growing sentiment out there that, you know, people are so used to, you know, watching the past in terms of offensive production, June would throw, Rolo would go. And a lot of people are thinking Bo don't know. So I, I think there's uh, a lot of blame to be spread around here, but offensive production, uh, offensive identity and offensive consistency. Uh, I think everybody in that room is looking at each other and they could all do better. RJ, and obviously all season long, there has been a frustration in regards to the offense and watching this offense and the inconsistency of this offense and not being able to fully display throughout the length of a game of, okay, this is what the University of Hawaii offense is, and this is how it's humming along. And I think that this San Diego State game was kind of the this was the meeting point of you saw such a strong defensive effort that kept you in the game against a nationally ranked opponent uh, uh, against a team that, you know, offensively has weapons and, and are dealing with offensive issues as well and have all season long, just like the university of Hawaii, let's be clear. San Diego state is, is offense is its weakness, but with weapons, with a very good tight end with very good running back, with one receiver that has proven throughout the season to at opportune times make teams pay for it. The University of Hawaii did not allow any of that to happen defensively, but it offense kept them from winning this football game it is really the, the, the easiest way to put it. And so RJ, what was the biggest frustration about this offensive effort that um, when you look at at the end of the day, why the University of Hawaii was unable to score more points than San Diego State? Uh, I mean, I think the frustrating thing, first and foremost, is the talent that you know you have. Uh, Nick Mardner put himself on the Bolitnikoff watch list after a couple of great performances early in the season. You got Calvin Turner. You got Day-Day Hunter. You got Dedrick Parson, who has his second consecutive game leading the team both in rushing and receiving yards. And you got Shevin Cordero, whom since the beginning of playing for the University of Hawaii football has made miracles and made magic. And now that has all led you to this point where you're losing in a season where you have two losses now against West Division opponents separated by one score or less. You lost to San Jose by four. You lost to San Diego by one touchdown with the offense that almost looked worse than the offense we're talking about. So I think the biggest frustration comes not only in knowing that you have talent, but when you're talking about the grand scheme of a season and where it could be, two more wins doesn't sound like a lot in the grand scheme of a whole season. But when you put it over two guys that are in your division being San Diego, and being San Jose, you changed the entire spectrum of your outlook going forward. Not only that, historically, Rob, you just mentioned the first opportunity for University of Hawaii to win two ranked games in two decades. And basically all you can deduce why it's not happening to is our offense isn't making the right play calls. They don't have the right schemes and the talent is being grossly unmet towards its potential. So I think that's the biggest frustration is Everybody watched that game on Saturday knowing, well, we, we are playing terrible, but we're still in it. Oh, we're still in it. We're still in it. And up until the very last play of the game, the University of Hawaii was always in it. There was never a point where the game was out of reach. And I think 
that becomes your biggest frustration. You get your starting quarterback back. You're only missing Day-Day Hunter offensively. You got the weapons. You got the new uniforms. You're allowed as many fans as would want to come, and you fall one touchdown, in fact, about 19 yards short of 20 years' worth of history and changing the whole outlook of what's going to be coming forward for this University of Hawaii football team. So I think that's the biggest frustration. It's different if you're getting mopped 55 to zero or if San Diego put up 700 rush yards and there was just no chance of Hawaii being in this game. I think the biggest frustration is losing games. You know that you can win and watching on tape, you know that you should have won. And Rich, when you look at what this University of Hawaii offense did, you only had one possession the entire game that was over nine plays. Um, when you look at some of the mistakes that were made, the miscues, the drops, the penalties that really just dug a hole in drives, um, how much uh, are we looking at the perfect storm? Because like, as RJ Hollis mentioned that, you know, what Nick Mardner was able to do in parts of this season, what Calvin Turner Jr. was able to do in parts of this season. And so, therefore, it was done within this season. So, you know that play calls create that, and they were able to take that play call and succeed. And so, there are instances that, like, okay, it works. But then there are instances, right, where we're watching and seeing that, okay, this does not work. Playing devil's advocate, could the University of Hawaii have won this game with the plays that were called if they were executed, if that makes sense, right? And, and, and so just to be clear, I am not arguing for or against whether or not the play calls were the right play calls at those times. And, and I think that's one thing I want to remind everybody, too, is that I am in no way, shape, or form an advocate or a supporter of any coach, what I'm here to do is create the conversation and create the discussion, right? And every side has two sides of every story. And so what I am asking is if the plays that were called were executed, could the University of Hawaii won this football game or were the plays that were called put them in a position where they could not win the game? What's the answer yeah. to that, Rich? Yeah, Rob, and, and here's the deal, right? So we're leading the nation with 22 turnovers. So that's one thing you can't have. I would imagine we're leading the nation in illegal procedure calls if there was such a stat in terms of just that penalty. I, I would imagine we're top 10 in, in terms of dropped balls. I mean, we've seen them all season long. So you're talking about execution. So yes, uh, there was enough drives out there that were stalled, not because of bad play calling, but because of playing behind the chains, because of uh, dropped footballs. Um, so, so there's a lot of that, Rob. But I think in the coaching world, and I'm going to put my coaching hat on, there's a credo that basically says is if you are teaching something or you are allowing something, they're both bad. So, for instance... I'm not teaching somebody how to drop a ball, but as a coach, if I'm allowing that, that's is just as bad as teaching it because I'm not playing that player. There has to be some type of penalties for continue to jump off sides, discipline, uh, concentration. There has to be some penalties for guys that continue to drop footballs or put them on the ground or throw interceptions. I, I'm not sure, you know, and I, and I believe in this elite discipline stuff, but 
Todd Graham talked about all those things. The most important thing is possess the ball, lead the nation in turnovers. We're not possessing it. About penalties, especially procedure penalties, administrative penalties that set you behind the chains. We're not doing that. And then the drop balls. I mean, I don't know how if these guys are like Devon Best that catch more balls before practice, more balls after practice, more balls during practice. But there becomes a work ethic. There becomes something. There's enough receivers. I mean, where's Aaron Cephas? We saw uh, the other guy, uh, Bowden or whatever his name is, enter the game yesterday. But Zion there's Bowen. enough. Res- yeah, yeah. There's enough receivers and on, on this football team that hey, if a guy's dropping balls, he's sitting right next to me on the bench. And I'm not sure what this new world of you know you got to recruit your own players and transfer portals that we're loving these guys up too much. But there needs to be some hard love. There needs to be some discipline. There needs to be some accountability amongst the players because the coaches and especially the offensive coordinator, Bo Graham, he's going to get his through social media and through uh, people's opinions. But these players have to be disappointed. And I'll bet you, Rob, you go into that locker room, the most disappointing people in that whole locker room are the guys dropping balls, the guys jumping off sides, uh, the coaches on the offensive side, because they know the talent and the potential of this offense. And it's been the most inconsistent group. And we don't even have to talk about the field goal in terms of the fake field goal. That's another error on special teams. So you're losing two thirds of the equation, usually consistently. And thank God for the defense, because I think they balled out for the most part. Yeah. You know, and, and, and RJ, when, when, is the old thing that, you know, as Rich talked about, that there are mistakes being made, but no accountability to some of the mistakes in certain situations. And and, and that kind of, you know, creates the snowball effect. Um, You know, here at KHON too, I am in charge of a department, right? And I have people that work for me. And if they go out and they make mistakes, right, it's on me to make sure that that doesn't happen again. And so completely understood. Um, with all that being said, what happens from here? What, like, when you do see the plays that are called, when you do see the play that, that, that ultimately, when you look at the whole picture of this is what the University of Hawaii offense is, talent-wise, under the lights-wise, uh, situational schematic, when you put the whole story together, can this be a team that succeeds like in all honesty in, in from what you've seen can this be a team that succeeds under its current situation uh, i mean to say that they couldn't succeed would be false because we already know that you know they've beaten ranked teams they've they've had good performances they've had back-to-back games where the running backs going over the century mark they've had like i said nick martiner having performances that, that put him on the Bolitnikov, you know, watch list. But at the same time, you have players like Shevin who look like they're regressing. You have players like Jared Smart, who was a thousand yard receiver. Now he's barely targeted. And like I said before, you have three now West Division games separated by a touchdown and you won one, but you lost two. So I think at this point, the offense has to figure out a way to be brutally honest with itself. And if there has to be coaching changes, then maybe that's what it has to be. If there has to be schematic changes, then that's what it has to be. We just watched on Saturday night a way below par offense escape T.C. Ching with a victory. That is not the first time that's happened this year because San Jose State did the same thing when they limped in here with their offense and left with a victory. So I I think that there has to be some sort of change, whether it be emotionally, whether it be motivationally, 
or whether you just chalk it up as this isn't the offense we should run and we got to put something else in there. The success has been achieved. Whether it's only in small bits or, you know, a game or two, success has been shown by this offense throughout this year. Last year, when Todd Graham was still the head coach, there were points where that offense showed success. So this isn't just terrible players lining up with a terrible scheme and then having terrible results. You have sometimes great, most time good players lined up with a sometimes bad, but most time decent or good scheme. And then it just turns into bad results. So you got to figure out what that variable is between the good and decent scheme, between the good and great players, and find a way to turn that into victories. Because like I said, you put up 400 yards of offense, it's great, but if you lose, it doesn't matter. Right now, this offense isn't putting up stats, and they're losing. So I think that is the biggest concern, but there has been success. You do. I still believe this offense is loaded like baked potato. I still want to see Aaron Cephas, Kowali Nishigaya, these back burner wide receivers that we know got skill. Get out there and make the things happen. But the thing is, if potential is not met, then it's just that, pure potential. So some way, somehow, this offense has to figure out a way to put out its best performances and its best foot forward. Because even in this season, where the offensive coordinator has been questioned the entire year, there are still samples in the passing game, in the running game, and in the pass block game that this offense could be successful. So whatever it takes to get to those points where we're creating success with what we have, that's what needs to be done. Removing coaches, changing whoever, that's what you got to do. You know, and to me, and, and obviously following the game of football and, and, and covering the game of football, obviously numbers are, you know, they don't tell the whole story. Uh, I, I just heard this term the other day that, that statistics are like bikinis. They show you some things, but not everything, right? Right. And so, and that makes me ask you, Rich, this is if I had told you at the beginning of the season that the University of Hawaii would have the fourth ranked total offense in the Mountain West Conference through 10 games of the season, wouldn't you think that this season looks completely different? Because understanding that, hey, this defense is probably going to be pretty good because let's face it. Todd Graham is the head coach and, and Todd Graham knows what he's doing. I mean, let's act like he, that, that isn't the case, right? I mean, he knows what he's doing defensively. All right. So if I were to tell you the beginning of the year that the university of Hawaii would be ranked fourth in total offense, wouldn't you think that this season would look completely different and the narrative of this season and the frustration that's boiling over be dark cloud over the program in regards to the offense, would look completely different than it does right now? Um, yes and no. And the no is because I, I go to practice. I watch film. I've watched every game. I've talked to the coaches on a weekly basis. I, and I watch Chef and Cordero. So I've watched him regress. And, you know, I also know the potential and how much better Nick Martin got, how special Day-Day Hunter is. You know, we've seen Jared Smart. We've seen, uh, and Calvin Turner's just a playmaker. And, Philosophically, this is what I understand Todd Graham wants from his offense, to throw the ball vertically 10 to 15 times. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes that doesn't. I understand that he understands the number. The second most dangerous player on this team is number 12. That where are the quarterback run design plays? He, under, he counts in his statistics the outside throwing game, the quick game, in terms of outside running statistics. 
And you have this offensive line that is full of experience. And we've seen a physical offensive line, like RJ said, inconsistent, but two or three games where they were just road graders. Um, so if I didn't know so much about this team and feel like I'm a talent evaluator, and most importantly is number 12, not living up to the MVP candidate that I think he is, I'd take him over any quarterback in the Mountain West Conference. I think Day-Day Hunter is a top five running back. Nick Martiner's a potential NFL player. This offensive line, Cole LaValle might get drafted, will play in the NFL. And just the amount of returning starters, uh, I, I that's what disappoints me, Rob. I, I thought they could be first in the Mountain West Conference in terms of offensive production. So, yeah, I mean, if I didn't know anything about this team and they finished fourth with what they do on defense, yeah, they probably would win more games. But, Rob, I didn't even mention, if you lead the nation in turnovers, there's nothing more important to me as a football purist, not just defensively, but one who understands games that you can't turn the ball over 22 times. You can't play behind the chains because then you're forced – to get more yardage and statistics are an anomaly and sometimes they're very deceiving, but there's some statistics that are glaring penalties, turnovers, and, uh, and there's others as well, drop balls, which leads to this offense, even though they may be fourth uh, in terms of some statistics, total yards per game or whatever that's misleading. And I think it's misleading to Todd Graham because he's all about possessing the ball, being physical, running the football. And these penalties are killing him. Uh, Death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah, and 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 the bikini uh, analogy of showing something. Yeah, thanks for segueing me on that one too, bro. No, and 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 the, the <laughs> bikini analogy of showing some things and not everything. I mean, yes. it, it's totally in this because yes, the University of Hawaii is ranked fourth in total offense, but you're not showing the most important parts, and that's that they turn the ball over more than anybody else on offense, and that they uh, are committing the most offensive penalties than anybody else, and so that then takes it back down to, to where you are. Um, now, obviously we spent a lot of time talking about the offense and for good reason, because it was an off, uh, it was an offensive game watching that offense play against San Diego state. Um, but I guess the question is um, before we move on to, to other things is what happens from here? I mean, there's three games left in the season and, and there's been a, you know, whether it's the Bose football final mailbox on social media, it, you know, I'm not going to ignore the fact that, Fans want to hear more people call for changes, right? And my thing is that, like, look, you're getting to the point of the season where now that becomes a topic, right? Now that becomes like, okay, because you're almost at the end of the year. And if the University of Hawaii suffered another loss, then you're, you're obviously the season's not over. You would play it out, but the season's over. Like, in regards to all of your goals that you have in the beginning of the season, what you're trying to accomplish. Okay. One's done this one. You can't do that one. You can't do right now. They're at having a winning season and getting into a bowl game. That's what's left of the, the goals of the season. So once you start getting to there, then that's when you start looking ahead to the next season, right? It makes no sense that, you know, if you're four and four, wanting a change right then and there. I mean, because we saw it in 2004 with the University of Hawaii football team. People forget that they were struggling. They were riding the struggle bus on their way to a losing season and people were fed up with the run and shoot offense. I mean, Rich Miano, you can attest to this, right? That that yes. I'm not making this up. That that the the letters to the editor and everything, you know, the 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 emails and the phone calls and the radio station callers at that time we're saying the run and shoot doesn't work. You need a tight end. You need a running back. This is, 
And what happened? The University of Hawaii goes on this tear, beats two Big Ten opponents, gets into a bowl game, and everyone forgets, right? And everyone loves to run and shoot again. All right? So it makes no sense that in the middle of the season, you want to blow something up, at least to me. And I could be wrong, and you could disagree, and that's cool, right? But that's just my feeling of, like, you have to wait to see how this plays out. So, again, backtracking to where I started, where do we go from here? With three games left in the season, I want, I want each of you to give me your thoughts. on, how, And we're only talking about the offense right here. Where do we go from here, RJ Hollis? Oh, uh, well, that, this, like you said, there's got to be some changes. And I don't know whether it's schematically play calling or whatnot, but there has to be some sort of identity change. Look, whatever you decided you were going to come into this season with and use that, you obviously haven't been able to master it through, you know, these uh, nine games or, or however many games you've played. So something has to be done. And I mean, when you, you hit it on the head, Rob, if they lose one more game, this season has nothing else to play for, but the games that are coming in front of it, you're about to face three teams in the Mount West that are essentially trap games because you're better than all of them. You have better records than all of them. So you should beat all of them. But at the same time, you have two road games, which we know is harder for the offense to perform on. Shevin, you know, even though he's back, it looks like he's not the same as he was before. And it doesn't seem like this offense is setting itself up to have any great performances anytime soon. So I do think something needs to change. And I don't know whether it's the coach, quarterback, wide receivers, your your formations or whatever, but there does there does need to be some sort of massive overhaul because I do feel like this team doesn't go to a bowl game with this type of potential. You're looking at problems that are going to come forward in seasons that aren't even here yet. So something has to change. I am not in the boardroom. I don't get the all 22 film and I don't talk to elite Terry and, and a lot of these offensive coaches on the regular. So I couldn't give you the exact schematics, but after seeing San Jose and San Diego go the way that they did, something has to change because With a good offense and those two victories, you're now not only only one game away from bowl contention with some tiebreakers and and teams slipping off. You could possibly still be going into the Mountain West Championship this year with those two games being the difference. So now that you've let those games get away from you, you need to do everything in your power. Put your pride to the side. If Bo has to say, this is not my position, if somebody has to say, I need to step down and let the backup take over, that's just need what needs to be done because I can assure you, you lose any of these next three games, you were excused because San Diego State was ranked. They were, you know, 24th coming in. That's a team we always have trouble beating. But if anything like this happens within these next three games, you're going to start to see problems that are a lot more than just asking for somebody's job and asking for a change. Well, I think one thing that should be noted that, that you bring up a, a good point, um, and it's not the point that you were making, but it, it made me think of something, is um, in these two seasons under Todd Graham, the University of Hawaii has never lost a game they were supposed to win, right? In every game that they're favored, they've won. In almost every game that they're the underdog, they've lost, with the exception of Fresno State and Houston. Right. And so when you look at these next two games, the University of Hawaii is favored against UNLV. You would imagine that they will be favored at home against Colorado State at Wyoming. They will not be favored. They will not be favored in Laramie, Wyoming in the winter. Um, And so what the University of Hawaii is staring at is 
they have three games remaining, two that they are supposed to win, one that they are not supposed to win. But you do not have a choice. You need to win all three if you want to have a winning season. Rich Miano, how do they get that done? Well, it's not a bye week, so it's not like you can self-scout and uh, really find some of the problems. But obviously, fundamentals uh, is one of the problems. Obviously, is I think what Todd Graham has told us in the media that he believes in, he firmly believes in, you probably need more quarterback runs. You need more vertical throws to make Mardner. You need to get the ball in Calvin Turner's hands. Some of this will be dictated by uh, game and situation like that. Uh, but no, I... I would not change the offensive coordinator. I would not fire any coaches. I, I think it's something you need to do in this off season in terms of really bringing some guys that really know uh, the air raid, really have some run and shoot concepts that maybe can help Chevin out in terms of what he's comfortable with and adapting some of those schemes to fit around him. Uh, a quarterback coach that can continue to work on the, the young man's fundamentals that seem to have regressed in terms of accuracy and touch on his deep ball and some of these other platform throws. Um, but at the same time, Rob, it, it comes from within. It comes from the seniors. Chevin has to be more of a commander, even though he's not playing great. And sometimes when you don't play great, it's hard to get on other people. But, you know, he's not he's trying to the best of his ability, as we all know. But receivers that drop balls, offensive linemen that jump off sides. He's a humble leader and he needs to be more of a commander and command this offense and the seniors, whoever they are. Cole Laval, Jared Smart. It seems like there's a lot of great seniors on this offense. Those guys need to have a players-only meeting and talk about that, hey, the coaches are receiving a lot of heat for this offense, especially I'm talking about the offensive side of the ball. But, guys, guess what? We're dropping balls. We're jumping off sides. We need to get better internally. And that's where the coaches need to be out of that meeting. There may be some cussing and there may be some, you know, uh, frustration that's going to be said, but they need to do that now. Because, Rob, you talked about it. RJ talked about it. If you don't win seven games this year, I think this may be one of the most talented, underachieving teams in recent memory. They should win seven games, and they can beat all three of these next opponents. But they're going to have to play better, especially on that offensive side of the ball. And I don't want to leave this Bose football final without talking about special teams. That fake field goal was shown on film exploited i'm sure they could have checked out of it but again another huge special teams miscue and you talk about winning and losing three games and that's just a statistic 19 percent of the game of special teams are 11 whatever you want to say big plays can happen they haven't had any big plays they've had a really good consistent kicker they've got even the kickoff return to open this football game Special teams has not been special. You can't lose two-thirds of the game and expect to win the game. And to me, whether it's 66% or whatever it is, you haven't won on special teams. You're not winning consistently on offense. And thank God that you take the ball away on defense. Yeah, and two-thirds of the game, uh, they lost against San Diego State, which resulted in a loss. So that one-third is defense. And obviously, they they played very good against San Diego State. And really, there's, there's not much to talk about. I mean, I hate to say it, right? Because, you know, we're going to say Darius Musau is an absolute beast. Yeah, we knew that. We're going to say Quentin Frazier finds a way to come up big in, in big moments. Yeah, we knew that. We're going to say that Corey Bethley might be the best undersized guy at that position. I mean, I mean, at this, 
when you look at it at the end of the day, I mean, the dude is playing a position that you should be six foot three and, you know, 265, 250 playing. And he's doing it at a much smaller, smaller size, but doing it phenomenally. And so we've been talking about that all season long. And, and so as we start to run out of time here and we spent so much time talking about the offense, I don't want to shortchange anyone. I want to get to the Bose football final mailbox. And I also want to talk about probably the, the second most important thing that came out of this game, other than a loss by the University of Hawaii in a disappointing and frustrating offensive effort. And that is the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletic Complex experience for the very first time where anyone who wanted to come that was vaccinated, that was willing to, to go through all the restrictions that are still in place, were able to come. And, um, and so that's how I want to open the Bose football final mailbox was uh, – uh, we got uh, Benny asking, uh, I was not able to attend the game. Please tell me what that experience was like. And so I will, I will tell you that the experience was phenomenal, phenomenal. Um, and you can make the argument that, you know, Aloha Stadium is much bigger. So therefore, of course, it's going to feel different. But hey, beside the fact that student section was the MVP of Saturday night. I have never seen it. And this is, and this is going back from as far back as I can remember. And this is going back to 2006, 2007 in the heyday um, that, you know, that was the last time that I saw anything close to this, that student section stood the entire game danced the entire game, every single time out, every single little UH marketing thing that they did, little game thing on the field or video board thing, they participated in. I was blown away uh, on, on how good it was. And, and, and for me personally, you know, I, I love the intim intimacy of it. I love how close that people are to the action. I love the vibe of just being on campus. It's a completely different vibe. Um, and, and so for me, it was a phenomenal experience. And, and, and I think something that could be built upon. Yes, it's not a dazzling stadium. It's not gorgeous. It's not this. It's not that. It's not. But what it is, is it's theirs, right? It's the University of Hawaii's. And, and I think that is the, the biggest takeaway from, from that, from that first game of however many people can come, can come. And these are the people who did show up. The people who showed up brought it. And, and, and it's just disappointing that they weren't able to get a win because, you know, I was even telling my wife who was able to, to, to come down to the game on Saturday where, you know, she couldn't stop talking about it, right? And, and so she's not X's and O's. She's not a big-time football person, but she attends games. She's attended countless games at Aloha Stadium. Right. And she's not there's no ulterior motive. There's no nothing. And she could not stop talking about that was the best game experience she ever witnessed. And she went to, and she went to the University of Hawaii in 2007. Right. And, and so obviously that was the, the the tip of the iceberg. Like that was it gets no better than that. And she was saying that she has not experienced anything at the University of Hawaii since then, since 2007, like she did on Saturday. And that was with 5,000 something people. Um, but there's just something about being on campus that's magical. And so uh, we'll see what happens from here. Um, but it segues me into the next question. And, and it comes from Team Diesel, who's asking, should we be worried about the attendance on Saturday night? And so keep in mind, only 9,000 uh, can be held at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. 
um, you had about close to 6,000 there. Are you concerned, Rich and RJ, about the number of people that attended that game? And keep in mind that, um, you know, there are still restrictions, uh, you know, because of the COVID-19 pandemic from the city and the state that you had to be vaccinated. So you eliminate vaccinate, unvaccinated uh, people from being able to attend the game. You are not allowed to bring anyone who is not vaccinated. And that includes children. So that means anyone with a child from age one until 12 uh, was not able to go because uh, only recently, right, did the kids under 12 start to get. So you couldn't get fully vaccinated by the time that game came. So you now eliminate all families in the state of Hawaii, essentially. Um, and then you can't eat and you can't drink. So uh, you, you then take out a lot of people who find that very important. And, and I'll be, I know about at least, I'm, I, I, I don't even have the time to think about how many people I talked to this week, but I, I'm, I'm not even joking. Probably about 40 people that I know of that go to every University of Hawaii football game that did not go to this game. And a lot of them had to do with the food because they're like, you know, look, it's on TV. It's on FS1. I'm going to eat and drink and get drunk and watch this game at home, right? I can't do that at, at the field, even though they're diehard University of Hawaii football fans. I know a bunch of other people who have children and we're just like, I'm not going to go and have to leave my youngest behind, or I'm not going to go and leave my kids behind. And so we're just going to watch it at home. And so, um, so with all that being said, Rich Miano, are you concerned that 9,000 people did not go to that game? Yeah. Yeah. Rob, uh, it, it's fragile right now to say the least. And I, and part of that is COVID. Part of that, as you mentioned, if you cannot have food, uh, you cannot bring in a musubi when they're not serving food. It, it almost seems draconian to think that you have to buy bottled water and you can't purchase uh, electrolytes or a smoothie or something nutritious to uh, kind of hold you over for a potential four, four and a half hour game if you go for warmups. So and then the whole, you know, uh, draconian measures, safety measures of, you know, the vaccination, the application, the online tickets, all these other things. Um, and, and will the students continue to go if they can't have fun? And, and by fun, I mean partying, potentially drinking an alcohol or two, you know, being in control, but, you know, having, you know, dancing and tailgating and all the other things that come with University of Hawaii football games. So uh, there is uh, what seems to be a dwindling fan base in terms of uh, the older crowd. Um, they're hopefully, as you mentioned, an engaging young student crowd and maybe more town centric, uh, dealing with the parking, dealing with the non-concessions. I think hopefully Rick Blangiardi loosens up some of the restrictions for next games. And that will be uh, some of the people like you mentioned, Rob, maybe they'll come if they can buy food or they can bring in food or they can uh, have a few beverages or whatever um, and enjoy this game. This is all about entertainment. And, and I do give kudos to the University of Hawaii in terms of in-game entertainment, video scoreboard, music, the band, the dancers, you know, the fans getting into it. It was an incredible atmosphere uh, on Saturday evening, but it has to get better in terms of inviting more fans back. And even like we talk about if the unvaccinated can't come and you have children, that vaccination obviously hasn't rolled out to that age group. What mom and dad are coming if they can't bring their kids? So you, you're blocking a whole percentage of uh, potential fans and you're making the fan experience more difficult without the food and all the concessions and the tailgating and everything else. So are we continuing to lose fans based upon changing the habits and the attitude on a Saturday evening 
you got to be real careful, especially with the season ticket holders. But uh, it's going to be interesting, Rob. Hopefully next game, less restrictions, 9,000 people, and a win against Colorado State at home. R.J. Hollis? Uh, I'm I, to me, it was kind of the biggest concern. It, it was, it honestly was only because I felt even with the restrictions, 9,000 would be, you know, no problem for the university of Hawaii. And the reason it's a real big concern is because, you know, personally, I remember talking to Nick Rolovich the night of the division title game. And, and just to get numbers into it, when I first got here in 2013, we lost every game except for army. That game had 31,000 people in it, okay? You fast forward to 2016, where we play UNLV for no reason at all, and that game had 31,287 people in it. You fast forward another couple years where now at your own home stadium, you are fighting for a division title. You drop down to 24,000, okay? Now 24,000 has turned into 6,000. There's the COVID rules. There's not being able to bring your kids. There's all of those concerns that I understand would naturally cut the numbers. But to divide your dwindling fan base by a fourth of the last amount of people to see it, you have one home game left and only 9,000 people can come to that. You're talking about potentially 10,000 people, maybe even more, that haven't watched the University of Hawaii football game for now three years. Add the rules into it. Add to how intense it is that Hawaii is, or add to how intense the COVID policy is in the state of Hawaii, because let's not forget college football everywhere else in the country ran unmasked and unvaccinated for two and a half months. What was 24,000 to go to a conference title game in your own house was 24. You fast forward that to the first game you're allowed to have capacity, against a ranked conference opponent because let's not forget what surrounds the game does bring people okay if you're just playing west east montana state not many people are going to come to that you're playing the best team that you've played all year in your division with mountain west potential and you could only get 6,000 people there. The University of Hawaii has 19,000 students enrolled. They all have to be vaccinated. So off students alone, you should be able to sell out every time. I don't see more people coming to the next game than this game because they lost, because of the rules. I don't see it changing. And there's one more home game left this year. So while it may seem like, okay, we're just doing it for safety, and, and I get it. University of Hawaii did 100% vaccination for safety. That is awesome. But when you remove people year after year after year, Saturday after Saturday after Saturday, how much harder do you think it would be to convince those people to give their Saturdays back to the University of Hawaii football? That's what I think the major concern is. I think the university doesn't see that a lot of these fans they're losing, you're losing for good. They're not waiting for COVID to come back. They're not waiting for you to allow their kids in. Some people have left Hawaii and don't even let their kids play high school football out here. So you are losing people for good. And to me, that's the biggest concern. Lit student sections, the first game I ever went to as a University of Hawaii student was when Wahine Volleyball played Texas. And I'm telling you, that student section was just as lit as what we've seen Saturday night. Fast forward to my junior year when men's basketball plays Irvine for the first place. 
I was the person getting people to come. I was the first person with a straight out of Manoa shirt on all of campus. I showed up to the game 15 minutes early. There was nowhere for me to sit in the student section. Yeah, well, I mean, what, I what's 15 the, minutes late? What's the common denominator there? The, it's all on it, campus. Yeah, it's all on campus. It's so all on campus, on campus, right? And so, get, you're so I don't get think we, we, we're not concerned about the students, right? I mean, the students are going to show up. And, 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 and keep in mind, and so as the, the students, as the students left that game on Saturday night, you know, they were interviewed by media members, uh, you know, doing news pieces on, okay, every single one of them saying they're coming back. They can't yes. wait. Yeah, the yes. time of their life. Yes. And that game was yes. horrible. The game yes. was horrible. So yes. the students are not the issue. And yes, there's 19,000 students, but the University of Hawaii can open up tickets to X amount of students. You need to leave it for the public. And then at the last minute, you're able to, you know, show up. And that's probably what you saw because the student section is supposed to be just in that end zone. Yeah, um, for a lot. Right. The, the end zone that, that faces the parking lot, right? Or, right. or that, that's resting up against closer to the parking lot. Uh, but then you saw the student section bend and, and go over to the, uh, the, uh, the Mackay sideline. And so I think in a normal situation that that's not supposed to be that many students over there, but they had to reopen because obviously you're not bringing in people. Um, you know, I, I am with you that when people don't come consistently, then they may not ever come back. I am with you. Um, but we also just have to understand that, like, I mean, we have to be realistic that this is because of the times that we're living in and, and nothing else. Right. It's not lack of interest. It's not people don't care about UH football, um, you know, because like I said, I know so many people who care about UH football that aren't going. And, and yes, it is a concern and, and that something needs to be done. But there is there's nothing that the University of Hawaii can do except follow the rules, which allow them to even have this game on campus. Right. And and, and so that's where I'm at of like, look, I am not concerned that that in that at this given moment that if you removed everything if that covid never happened whatever you wouldn't be able to get 9000 people in there like it is not like the university of hawaii has lost every fan it's ever had right but yeah i don't know how many people are going to be going while this pandemic is going on and while these restrictions are up there but we have to be honest that that's that's what we're looking at it's okay. nothing else my, my, and that's, I didn't mean to get too long winded with it. I know I tend to do that a lot, but my biggest concern is the fans that you're losing that aren't coming back. My final story about the students was to say the students are going to come. You're walking distance and you hear that you're going to come. The fans that are paying is the empty parts. Okay. Students pay athletic fees. They come to the games for free, but the parts that we don't see people in are people that would have paid before that aren't paying now. And I feel like that number might get bigger with these rules pushing us into a third straight year of non-regular home games oh absolutely and, and, and we need to, i mean by the time the 2022 season comes i, I mean obviously it, it's going to be extremely detrimental if you're still going through this because the thing you gotta remember too is that you've eliminated the walk-up right because not only can you not just show up at the stadium and to buy a ticket because you need to buy parking in advance because the University of Hawaii has to limit how many people are parking there and not buying a ticket there, right? Because you can't just be, you can't just open up the parking and be like, hey, everyone come, because then people are going to park and then just linger around campus and watch through the fence or watch from the, so you got to buy parking before you even buy a ticket. And so, which means that on game day, it's impossible. And so, I mean, it is just, 
you are stacking obstacle in front of obstacle in front of obstacle in front of obstacle and and, and it's difficult it's difficult for people to have to go through um in order i mean it the best way to put it is that it is far more convenient to not go to a University of Hawaii football game than it is to go to a University of Hawaii football game, right, Rich? Yeah, and, and one thing, obviously, it's the same as Todd Graham will tell you in recruiting. Winning it has a lot to do with how many pay-per-view hits there are, how many people watch it on Sunday morning after the game, uh, how, how recruits signing up, uh, fans coming to the game. Everybody wants to be associated with the winning, and I'll go – and step down to that's 1A. Well, what's 1B? 1B, unfortunately, because I'm a defensive guy, and I know how much fans love the big hit, the goal line stands, the interception, the cause fumble, the sacks, but they also are so used to seeing offensive explosions and, and offensive output in the aerial passing game. That will help as well. And, and you know, when we may not be talking about the masses, but I think all of this plays into this. You, you finally have an on-campus stadium that has wonderful, uh, the university is doing a great job with in-game entertainment, pre-game, halftime, uh, post-game, all that kind of stuff. You, you're having a great experience. It could be enhanced by, obviously, a more efficient offense. It could be enhanced by winning more football games. Um, but, but I think this is something that has really got me to think about, you know, as much as I love the Aloha Stadium and the, the location and, you know, having Bruno Mars and Max Holloway and, uh, you know, all kinds of events there. This on-campus stadium thing could be a phenomenal recruiting tool, a phenomenal uh, venue, and it's going to be an interesting discussion how they move forward with capacity continue to be built as they contemplate the funding for this stadium, which I think we all saw that the three governors, past governors, came out and talked about turning that into affordable housing. And going with Todd Graham's plan on making this on-campus stadium, have a, a training room, have an athletic performance center, you know, build it up to 18, 20, 21,000. And I think that's possible over time. So it's, it's made me kind of vacillate on this whole thing. But I do think, as you said, Rob, there is still plenty of interest in football in Hawaii. But man, the more COVID restrictions, which is not the university's fault, that's the governor, the mayor, the Department of Health, the attorney general's office, whoever that may be. But man, people just continue to turn on the television and see it all around the nation. They see a dwindling case count here. They see all these statistical things that you can talk about modeling, whatever else. Little kids, if you can't go to an OIA game, if they can't go to a UH game, family, this is all about the Ohana. And these little kids should be able to go to this game and i hope that's one of the restrictions that's lifted in by two weeks yeah and we'll see what happens and you know rj you bring up a good point of winning and obviously i mean that's no matter where you play right i mean you you take it to its lowest level um of just the evidence of that is that there are far more students that attend campbell high school than kahuku Right. There are far more families associated with Campbell High School than Kahuku. And even though Campbell is playing well right now, far more people show up to Kahuku football games. Why? Because they average 10 wins a year for the last 25 years. Right. Because they have state titles and OIA championships, something that Campbell does not have. And so, it, you know, obviously, yes, if you win games, if if the University of Hawaii entered this game at, you know, seven and zero. 
yes, this wouldn't be a conversation. 9,000 people would have shown up. They, people would have found a way to show up and people would have gone through all the, the inconveniences and everything. And so, yes, like we can't ignore the fact of that, that if they're winning more football games, it would look completely different. With that being said, um, you know, th there's a lot of issues right now that people got to go through. And, and I don't fault a lot of them, right? My, uh, two of my three children weren't allowed to go to the game. Therefore, zero went to the game. Right. So um, that's three people right there. And I'm one guy. Right. And, and so you just add that to all the people in the state of Hawaii. I mean, we can't ignore it. We can't ignore that, that there would have been a lot more people without all these things. OK. Um, the other thing, you know, we're running out of time here and so many questions on the Bose football final mail or not even questions. These are comments about the, the actual complex. Right. And uh, I got a bunch talking about they need a video board. They need this. They need that. Oh, I, I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the experience. But I think that they should do this. Here's the deal. All right. Um, next season, the, the plan is that the non-concrete side of the stadium, right? The non-concrete, the facade, uh, the opposite side of the, the, the sideline, which is the, the Mackay sideline, um, is going to double up. So the exact same thing you're looking at right now is going to go above the suites. And so you're going to double that attendance or that, that amount of bleachers. Okay. And that's for next season. That's already the, what is planned. The small end zone of capacity wise, the student section where it's really just one layer of, uh, you know, stacks uh, seating is going to look like the exact same thing as the Les Murakami side. So what exactly that bleacher setup is then another one is going to be purchased and constructed and put on the other side. Uh, a video board um, will be put on the Les Murakami Stadium side, uh, a giant video board, which and, and you will also still keep the smaller one that's there. So these are, I mean, all great, great comments of people saying that what this stadium needs and how it could be better. These are all things that the University of Hawaii already has planned for the next season. The thing you have to keep in mind, they had four months to put this together. And so if you lay everything out and say, like, okay, this is what was done in four months, um, I think that's what the grade should be of what the stadium is like and not keeping in mind of a completed stadium and saying that, okay, how good of a stadium is this? And so uh, just, just keep all of that in mind um, of the, the additions that are already going to take place here for this next season, which is going to take the seating up to, I, I believe, close to 15 for next season. Um, and so now if those things don't happen, then that's another story. But that is what's planned right now to this point. RJ, uh, you wanted to say something? Oh, uh, yeah, no. And just because I did have the, you know, whole monologue about the, the 6200 and how much of a concern that was, I will also flip that over to say this. I was an economics major at the University of Hawaii and wrote a city planning paper about what would happen if T.C. Ching were to be turned into an athletic complex for the University of Hawaii. Yes, there was only 6200 people. That was a concern. But that student section was electric the b-roll that they got from that bottom row shooting up is probably the best student section b-roll the university of hawaii has gotten in a decade the potential is there the backdrop of the city the backdrop of the mountains the way it's set up the fact that you couldn't have a best seat in the i mean you couldn't have a bad seat in the house you could get the most up seat that there is 
and it's not a nosebleed. It's about the best seat you would want to yeah. get. So yeah. whether you're down at the bottom, up at the top, somewhere at the middle, this side, that side, or every other side, you have a great seat. You have a great atmosphere. When it gets loud, you know that noise is going to close in. So I see the potential being something that even Dave Matlin can't see. Even Todd Graham can't see. I see the potential going bigger than the 15000 that they're talking about. So while there was a concern of the 6200 that did show up, the potential for T.C. Ching, the amount of people that can walk and not to put you know your personal business out on the street, Rob, but you're walking distance from yeah. TC King. I, I walked to the game. People. I, I I walked to the game. And there's from thousands my home. of people that it live was, around you. Unbelievable. Exactly. They could do the same. You could sip, drink, do all your pre-gaming, and then waltz. No DUI, no Uber, no nothing. Just walk down there, and you could have the greatest time. And that's what all of those students did. That's what I could see a full-capacity house doing. And that is what I hope that T.C. Ching becomes. You see the potential. It looks awesome. I've seen the potential when it was empty, just yeah. the B-rolls that they would have around it. So being concerned about the 6,200 is one thing, but the potential of that T.C. Ching could be turned into something where even if they get Aloha Stadium built up to its full capacity, unless you just outsell T.C. Ching so much you got to go, the University of Hawaii will probably never have to go back to Halawa. Yeah, and and keep in mind Pucks Alley and what he could do to the Mooney Ely area, and that's you know, and area. and that's the other thing too is that you know that that area of Pucks Alley. I mean, there are countless restaurants that have closed within the last couple of years, and really with even within the last few months. Um, that you know, when I walked down past that on my way to the stadium, I looked and I and I was disappointed that that there weren't more eateries open so that people can congregate and 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 you know have a little get together and eat and drink and you know and then walk over to the stadium but really the a lot of those places just don't exist right now and then you look at like beer lab who they're held to restrictions still yet too so you can't you can't get you know i, I think about when i go to uh seattle and i went to a seahawks game at quest field and across the street there's all those bars and it's i mean it's standing room only you're packed like in like a sardine before the game and i'm just drinking i mean you can't even do that if you wanted to right now to attend the University of Hawaii football game because of the restrictions. And so I can't wait to see what this all looks like um, when it's really what it can possibly be. But obviously we have a lot of time to talk about that. And we have a, another opportunity here in a couple of weeks against Colorado state to see how it can get better. But uh, as we talked about this entire time, what's next is what's next. And that's on the road at UNLV where you're probably going to have the biggest Hawaii contingency of the season. Always a strong support on the ninth Island. I know so many people who are flying up for this game. I'm going to be at the game uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, and so I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but with all that being said, we got to go. We, the, we spent a lot of time uh, talking about what is the most important topics right now. Uh, for many that follow University of Hawaii football. And uh, we love uh, the participation of the questions and the comments. And uh, we thank everyone for supporting the show. Um, one last thing, Rich and RJ, each, I want to give you guys an opportunity to set the stage here. Uh, we are now in game week for this UNLV game. Um, what needs to happen? Uh, I'm jacked up, Rob. Obviously, you mentioned the amount of alumni, the amount of the Ninth Island residents, the amount of people flying over from Oahu to this game. Allegiant Stadium, $2.8 billion, you know, NFL stadium. To me, uh, this is epic. 
the venue is, is magnificent. The opportunity for Hawaii, and again, watching Kaylin Frail play quarterback for the opposing team and a couple of Hawaii connections. Uh, this, to me, is one of the most exciting uh, games on the schedule. And, and UNLV won last week, and they won convincingly. So this is going to be a great matchup. I'm looking forward to this. I think Hawaii will make a, a lot of changes, not necessarily personnel-wise, but hopefully from a disciplinary and focused standpoint and just play consistent football and come away with a W. All right, R.J. Hollis. Uh, well, hopefully, you know what Rich said earlier with the players only meeting uh, kind of happened. And, and I really just hope, you know, at the end of the day, these players go out there next week and they give all that they got. They, they put their best foot forward and whatever it takes to do that mentally, uh, uh, emotionally, support wise, even if we got to have the hyper sideline, let, let, let's, you know, let's show people what we can do. Let, let's go out there, win a game that we should win on the road even though that's challenging to always do, you're going to have probably the biggest support as you guys have both mentioned. And at this point, let, let's just have a little pride. Let's, let's just have a little, you know, wherewithal to know like, Hey, we're way better than we're showing. This is an opportunity for us to show just how good we are and give yourself the perfect momentum you need to still try and get yourself into a bowl game because bad as last Saturday was not all is lost. There's still something to fight for. So come Saturday, let everybody knowing that watch this game, we're still fighting for something. That's all I got. Hey, hey, hey Rob, real quick before we end this thing, uh, without talking about a shout out to the unis, bro. I like the island chain on the back. Yes. I like the stars. Yes. I like the swag. Shout that, out to Adidas. Ooh. And uh, you know what? Uniforms win, bro. Uniforms recruit. Hey, no, that, no, hey, you know, hey, and you know me, I'm the, I'm the resident uniform guy here on Bowie's Four. Football Final, and I give it a very high grade. I thought it was a great alternate. Um, obviously, if, if I could have done one thing different, I would have gone with a gray decal, replaced the green on the H with gray to match nice. the jersey because you would have been nice. black, gray, black, gray, black, gray. And, and obviously, that's not your school colors, but this is a one-off kind of alternate right. this isn't a third jersey that you're going to be using more than once so i mean it, it just would have completed the look better to me but it's something that but with that being said it, it still icy. looked great it still looked great yep. Uh, yep. because they had a black helmet and you know and it all worked and so obviously a good third uniform that you use once in a year but with that being said as we talked about a couple of weeks ago i want to see a third alternate uniform that's used throughout the season so we need a green uniform thrown in there um, I think Adidas, it, 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 they, they did a good job with that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm kudos excited. to them. Um, but uh, it would have looked a lot sweeter, I'm sure, to a lot of fans if they were able to see them celebrate a victory uh, with it, and no matter what the color of the decal was. So uh, much mahalo again, everybody. Uh, University of Hawaii against UNLV this Saturday, 11 in the morning, Hawaii time on Spectrum Sports pay-per-view. That means the Game On show starts a half hour earlier, so at 10.30 in the morning. Rich Miano and Kanoa he will be on the call. I'll be up in Vegas uh, covering the game for KHON2. And so, uh, everybody, have a great rest of the week. And, again, mahalo for supporting Bowie's football final. For Rich Miano, RJ Hollis, I'm Rob DeMello. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Aloha.